0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score Nord Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand.
2: It's Purple Daily.
0: The Minnesota Vikings have a roster, and we are in, finally, week one mode here in the NFL. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad, Sage Rosenfels joining via phone here to actually break down a real week of real NFL football. What's going on, Sage?
2: Well, we're not really breaking down anything yet. We still have to to see uh, some real regular season action before we can... Uh, really get into you know what what uh, the Vikings are going to be during the regular season because we all know the preseason is you know not as complex football uh, the teams don't game plan very much no one wants to really show anything so uh, but we do have obviously a, a team that we've all seen a lot the Atlanta Falcons who have been to playoffs regularly in the last few years uh, Super Bowl not too long ago in uh, a top uh, you know flight uh, quarterback uh, who threw for almost five thousand yards last year.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to start with you, Sage, is that we know that we can't take a lot away from the three preseason games and then the fourth one that was mostly guys who got cut. But I think that there's one way to look at this preseason as a huge victory for the Minnesota Vikings, and that's that they had no devastating injuries throughout the entire camp, the entire preseason. There's a couple of guys like David Morgan who are starting on IR. Mike Hughes we knew would not be back. But aside from that – fully healthy and so my question for you sage is big picture knowing that they have all of their players what what, what's your feeling here as as we're now in week one are you feeling as you watched preseason training camp all those things are you feeling more positive about the team a little more apprehensive like where do you stand as we are now in real football mode
2: you know, I think this team was trying to form an identity during the preseason. It's not always easy when you're playing a lot of twos and a lot of threes. Those starters aren't really out there uh, with a lot of the action. But, you know, you could get a feel for how that offense was going to be. You saw a lot of that fullback. Uh, you saw a lot of that zone scheme. And you saw the play-action bootleg stuff, even that, just that basic stuff. You did get a feel that like this offense is going to be different, you know, than next year. Now, so the defense doesn't really change from year to year. There's always a couple new players here and there. Obviously, a lot of superstars uh, over the defense side of football. So, you know, we'll see what you know this type of team ends up being as they try to win football games. It's you know not uh, b- about having the best defense and or the best offense. It's how are they going to win from week to week and starting off, you know, first game of the year. Uh, they're playing against a team with an extremely high-powered offense and against a defense who last year was in the bottom third in the NFL, really the bottom probably fifth in the NFL in a lot of categories.
1: So, say. Two- Back to your point before about offenses, uh, especially in the exhibition season, operating as vanilla as possible. As a guy who is uh, very familiar with what Gary Kubiak and that system likes to do, what do you think are some of the things that we probably didn't see in the four preseason games at all that we are going to see pretty quickly on Sunday when the Vikings play the Falcons?
2: Well, here's an example. In that fourth preseason game early on, uh, it may have been the first play of the game. They ran a play called X-Read, and it's a play action play. Again, fullback, tailback, the quarterback, uh, turns around, fakes it to that tailback, sucks up those linebackers, and, uh, uh, the wide receiver was wide open for about a 15-yard game, uh, uh, Latron Qued- uh, Treadwell was. So, uh, you know, he's wide, that play is sort of a staple of the offense. And they'll run that play, you know, 25, 30 times this year, once or twice a game. But off of that play, there's so many things that that, uh, concept can do it. Looks the same, you know. On that play, he sort of runs to the hash as he's running to the safety. The safety's deep. He throws on the brakes. Corbeck sort of throws him, you know, right over the right over the middle, basically, and it's a fairly easy completion. But off of that, you know, that same player could take it to the post. He could take it to a high corner. Uh, if he does either of those things, the receiver from the other side could come across the the field, and then you start designing things based off of the coverages you're going to see and how defenses react. Uh, because they all have, you know, these sort of gap responsibilities. So when there is that play action run game, those safeties, those corners, they have to step up, uh, to fill those lanes. And so when you start seeing things and game planning, then you start being more creative and designing things that would attack a defense, uh, you know, and a little bit, a little bit more aggressive, I would say, during the regular season
0: talking with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels, who will be doing the show with us Purple Daily several times a week and uh, looking forward to all all the breakdowns there. So let me throw this at you, Sage. Uh, Kirk Cousins, I think, is aware that this year he has to show that he can win games in big situations and when the lights are the brightest and things like that. I want you to give me one area specifically where Gary Kubiak, Kevin Stefanski offense can raise the level of Kirk uh, Cousins' play because I think Sage, in in a lot of different areas, he's going to be exactly who he is. We know what kind of ball he throws downfield. We know that the pocket presence probably is going to change. I did enjoy writing the... This story about him running more, but I have a tough time thinking that he's going to turn into Lamar Jackson all of a sudden. But so, so tell me one area specifically where you think, yes, this actually can take him from where he was last year to where he can be to improve the offense in 2019.
2: Well, I, I think two things. and uh, With Stefanski and with Kubiak uh, working together in this offense, I do think that some of the completions are going to be deeper down the field. They're going to have more attempts of taking shots. You know, that, that play action bootleg type stuff does allow a quarterback to hang on the football longer on those types of plays. It uh, allows those receivers to get down the field and Cousins is good at throwing the deep ball. So, uh, you know, those are the types of plays I think that I expect that we'll see more this year than, than we saw last year. The second thing I think is on that straight drop back stuff that they're not going to have him just standing in the pocket, holding on the football, pat, 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 two, two hitches, three hitches, four hitches. I think that when they do more of that drop back, uh, a passing game, it's going to be to, he needs to get the ball out of his hands. You watch Tom Brady anymore. You watch a lot of these guys. They get the ball out of their hands quick. In particular, the quarterbacks that, you know, don't run around like, you know, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, those types of guys. Get the ball out of your hands, get in the playmakers, uh, hands and, and let them do the work, you know, down the field. So my guess is that they'll, uh, rather than last year, it like a lot of shotgun, Kirk holding on the football. Sometimes good things happen. Sometimes bad things happen in those situations. My guess in the straight drop-back passing game, it's going to be more quick stuff. So, so uh, Kirk can read the defense, which we all know he can. He's a very smart guy, very cerebral guy, understands defenses, uh, and, and he can read the defense and get the ball out his hands quickly.
1: Sage, so, as we get set for game one right now, what is your faith in this uh, re-tinkered, I guess would be the best word, offensive line?
2: Well, I think what uh, I think about this type of offense, and I was in it in 2006 in Houston. You know, the Gary Kubiak and, and young Kyle Shanahan. Uh, you know, Mike Sherman was on that staff. They came into Houston on that team, uh, and you know, a lot of those offensive linemen were there in the previous years, in which the Texans had uh, almost no success. You know, throwing the football, or running the football. I mean, David Carr was getting sacked 70 times a season, it seemed like during those times, and so. But they had the ability to take basically the same guys. Uh, and I believe Carr was back maybe in the, you know, mid thirties to low forties that year, which still isn't great. Uh, but they know how to, uh, you know, sort sort of make the line work well together, uh, again, in that zone scheme, but also in pass protection. They understand that for the most part, how to help, uh, you know, those linemen out when they know they have a disadvantage, when maybe we're going against a premier pass rusher, uh, you know, they'll have a, a chip uh, by a tight end or a running back or, at least a presence to make it not so easy uh, you know, on that defensive end. And so they do a really good job, I think, of trying to sort of protect that offensive line to try to make them uh, better. One part of it is the actual you know, teaching of the offensive line play. And I think the second thing is really how you call a game. Again, you're, we're going to see third and twelves this year, uh, which you have, a very, you have like a 7% chance of getting a first down. We'll see things that let's not make it worse. Let's get the ball out of the quarterback's hands. Let's do a three-step drop. Maybe it's a quick slant. Maybe it hits for 12, 13 yards and gets a first down. But let's not compound a bad situation, which a third and long already is, and which this is not Kirk's strength as a sit back there in the pocket, as I said, and you know try to make things happen in a bad situation. So try to protect that offensive line a little bit as well with the way you call a football game.
1: Hey, Sage, give me your best guess uh, starting Sunday. How, how is this going to work? So Kubiak's in the booth, Stefanski's downstairs. Is, is there time for Stefanski to, to run ideas by Gary? Is Gary going to, to run ideas by Kevin? When, when you introduce a veteran like Gary who has you know, called plays and, and is a valuable resource for sure to Kevin, but the game is going pretty quickly, how does this sort of play out in your mind?
2: Well, nobody really knows this, right? Only really, you know, Kevin Stefanski, Gary Kubiak, really those two, even more than Mike Zimmer, right? I mean, only those two know their relationship and how they're going to work this thing. But I'll tell you this, and I have worked with both of these guys in my past, two of my favorite coaches, you know, whether it's NFL coaches, college coaches, high school coaches, or Pop Warner coaches, a lot of times there's big egos uh, in that job profession. But those two guys simply do not have that. They're so good at leaving it at the door uh, and sort of putting the the team first uh, and not looking to, you know, blame somebody else for a mistake. You know, they're just not that type of coach. And I imagine they'll work very, very well together. I'm sure Kubiak will offer suggestions, uh, and I'm sure uh, they'll be consistently conversating, you know, during the game as as to what they want to call next. I, I think that at the end of the day, it's, Stefanski's offense and he's going to call, he's going to call and they're all going to discuss it, you know, after the game, but maybe they shouldn't have called that. Maybe they should have, but, uh, I very much believe that these two are going to be, are going to work very, very well together. Uh, and it'll be a great sort of, you know, young, I think very intelligent coach who is going to be a coach on the rise. Who if he does well, you know, this year, next year, I think Stefanski will get some head coaching looks, uh, with an older coach who doesn't have that ego, who just loves coaching football. Uh, but then again, doesn't have to have all that responsibility and stress of being, you know, in full command of the entire football team or, or an offense. And so I think it's sort of a match made in heaven with those two coaches
0: talking with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels and our journeyman correspondent here on Purple Daily. Uh, Sage, this was the summer, at least if you were on Twitter, of yelling at each other about running backs, where you had a lot of people who have covered the game for a long time or uh, coaches and things like that talking about how incredibly valuable running backs are and then the analytics community coming back and saying, well, let's just say you shouldn't pay Melvin Gordon or Ezekiel Elliott here in Minnesota. Stefanski Kubiak, they want to have Delvin Cook run the football all the time. They want to throw him the ball all the time. What do you think the value of a healthy Delvin Cook can be to the 2019 Vikings offense?
2: Oh, huge. And, you know, I I think we'll see a little bit how he is in the passing game. We haven't seen that a ton in his past, but, you know, uh, that's what I'm interested in. You know, we know know he can run the football, he's got, got great vertical speed up the field. He's not a shifty you know, agility guy in the sense he's not going to be cutting all over and making guys miss. He's going to make a couple cuts and go straight north and south, which is exactly what you want in this style of offense. You sort of go down the line, you choose your gap, and when you see it, you just got to go and stick your foot in the ground and go north and south, and sometimes you split it, and it goes, you know, 85 yards to the house like it did the other night. But what I'm interested in is if Dalvin Cook can be a – uh, you know, a full a player with all the uh with all the skills of you know a, a, almost a Le'Veon Bell type. Can the guy can the guy go out there? Can you run some simple receiver type stuff? Can you put him in the slot to break him down on a linebacker one on one? Because if you can do that, I imagine Stefanski will want to take advantage of that. And that is to me the value of running back. Receivers can't go in the backfield and run the football, but running backs can go out wide and be more of like a wide receiver. So they're more versatile. Uh, there's sort of a utility knife, and I'm really interested to see not only Dalvin Cook, but the other running backs as well. Can they be a part of this passing game to add an extra element to it? Because if you look at some of these best offenses around the league, uh, a la the New England Patriots, for example, teams that maybe aren't the top five in the league in offense, but are winning, you know, playoff games or winning Super Bowls, they use the running backs in all sorts of ways. And you can't just be a classic Adrian Pearson style tailback. You have to be able to, Do a lot of things, and I'm interested to see uh, if these young, these these running backs who are all young guys if they can do those types of things in the passing game.
0: well, I think it's a great point Sage because the Patriots are a good example of what the Vikings might want to try and copy here where the Patriots didn't necessarily have the deepest receiving core last year. Of course they have Gronk but they didn't have like four or five great receivers last season. They used the rotation of running backs. James White in the backfield, Rex Burkhead, Sony Michel. We might actually see that Sage this year. Not exactly in a rotation for running the ball but in how they use them in the passing game and. I really liked a lot of the things that I saw in training camp and then preseason for Mike Boone, so when he made the team, I wasn't surprised, and he could be a guy that shows up and lines up in the slot for a play or runs a reverse or some sort of weapon that they can use because he just has great ability when he's got the ball in his hands.
2: Well, I think it's helpful, and again, we haven't seen him much in the passing game, but when you see him back to returning kickoffs and things like that, uh, obviously he's fairly good at catching the football, so... Uh, you know, that it will be interesting to see. And, and, that, you know, I, I, do believe, by the way, going back to the beginning of the conversation about the value of a running back. Yes, the value of a running back in some ways has gone down. In particular, I think, you know, that premier running back of pain, you know, again, w- w- the Vikings would know a guy like Adrian, uh, but you see it around the league. Now Melvin Gordon's holding out, Zeke Elliott's holding out down in Dallas, you know, trying to get 12, 15 million dollars a year. I don't believe in that sort of business model mm-hmm. unless, uh, and again, it's super talented guys. I would rather have three or four really good backs. Uh, you know, these guys are all cheap, by the way. You know, even Dalvin Cook being a first rounder. This is not—we're not talking about twelve, fifteen million dollars a year. So I'd have really a committee uh, of younger guys uh, who can do multiple things. And that's what the Patriots do—they don't pay anybody big money. Uh, and my guess is, if uh, Sony Michelle, when he's up for a, a free agent here in a couple years, they're not going to pay him—you know, ten, twelve million dollars a year. They want to pay, you know, guys two million, three million, a couple of young guys who can come in and do multiple things. I think it's a very valuable position that you don't spend a lot of money on, if that makes sense. So, uh, you can overpay. I, I do think it's an important position though. And I think also it should be, uh, running back by committee, not just, you know, running the football and to share that load, but also find all these other skills that they can do in the passing game protections and things like that.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, and when it comes to the value, if you have a guy who can uh, just go 85 yards for a touchdown and you give him the ball, it's pretty good for your offense. Um, Sage, last thing for you. You came out to two practices, and you and I were talking at one of them, and you were watching Jake Browning, and you said, you know what, I think they might like this Jake Browning guy. He's doing some good things out there. And I kind of shrugged like, well, he's the fourth quarterback at the moment, but the Vikings decide to keep Jake Browning on the practice squad. Mannion is number two. Obviously, Kirk Cousins as number one. I'm curious what it was that you saw from Jake Browning that made you write about this. You saw it the
2: same way as the Vikings did. Well, you know, I, I saw a guy, again, not, I first watched him, you know, obviously as some, some at Washington, you know, on those Saturday nights when I'm up at midnight and I can't go to sleep. But Washington's playing Cal Berkeley, and so I'm watching that game. But I, I went to the Rose Bowl last year. and He didn't play great in that game. Uh, but I sort of knew, you know, the previous years, the team really relied on him. He won a lot of big football games. And, you know, so that always interests me that, you know, the NFL moment is not too big for him. And I saw him early in those preseason games. Shoot, maybe it was those first couple throws of that first preseason game. I just remember how nervous I was. And I was just hoping, you know, Brian Schottenheimer, my coach at the time, would call screens. And so I can get some sort of completion because I was so nervous uh, playing the NFL game. You could tell very early he was not. And he throws an accurate football. Uh, You could tell by the way he, you know, in and out of the huddle and the way he sort of runs that offense. He felt comfortable. Uh, And, again, he throws a nice ball, and I think he's fairly accurate. So, um, you know, is he a developmental guy that could be a starter someday? No, I don't think so. But, you know, could be a guy that ends up being a backup and uh, a great part of this organization for a long time uh, and supports the starter and is a great teammate and all these aspects that you want in your backup quarterbacks. I think he could, you know, be that guy. And, again, you know, maybe it's sort of a – Jason Garrett type of situation. You know, Jason, not a great athlete, uh, you know, not a, a huge arm by any means, but a guy that sort of game manager uh and ended up being Troy Aikman's backup for a long time, sort of in a you know, assistant coach role, uh, if anything, played well in a couple ballgames he had to play in and had a twelve year NFL career. Now he's the Dallas Cowboys head coach. And so I could see, you know, Browning without the big arm. Uh, by just sort about the way he held himself, the way he moved around the pocket, the way he made some accurate throws, and, and I thought did a pretty good job of, of not throwing balls in traffic and just sort of running the offense. Did a nice job. I can see why they put him uh, on that practice squad and kept him around, in particular because they didn't keep a third-string quarterback.
0: Well, Sage, that's why we have you around all season long to break it down for us, and uh, we'll be back uh, Wednesday on the show, and we can truly dive into previewing f- uh, Vikings. Those we... are the Falcons. Yes, Vikings. yes, we could do it. Uh, we'll get your thoughts on Matt Ryan then, and everything else, and we'll really start to dive into the game. So, Sage, I'm looking forward to it, man. Thanks for coming on.
2: All right, guys, the chat yeah. Wednesday.
0: Sage Rosenfels, our journeyman correspondent. Uh, we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, uh, we're debuting a new thing. We're uh, this is uh, N- NFL Law and Order, where we try to convict the Vikings or defend the Vikings in court against some accusations. And Judd, you have... Vikings accusations as it pertains to the kicker. We will explain when we come back. Kicker and punter and holder. When we come back. the whole thing. (laughs) You're listening to Purple. Multiple indictments. Purple Daily here on Score North.
2: Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours.
0: Okay, we are back here on Purple Daily. Last day from the Minnesota State Fair, and it just could not be any better out here. I want to remind you if you missed uh, any of sage Rosenfeld 's our interview there, or if you didn 't catch it our breakdown of the roster myself and Courtney Cronin, go check it out on iTunes. just type in Purple daily. make sure you give a five star review as well. so if you like the show and the podcast that uh, other people can find it that makes it easier for that to happen so um, but we 're going to debut something new today we 're not doing hot routes today. we want to do something different nfl law and order or vikings law and order here because judd you texted Whatever me you call it yep. over the weekend yes. and said that you would like to try to indict the vikings for malpractice so let us begin
2: on purple daily our coverage is represented by two separate but equally important groups the reporters who gather information and the analysts who criticize the team these are their stories <laughs>
0: Alright, John. Okay. So you want to indict the Vikings for malpractice for kicking, punting, and holding. Go ahead and state your case. Actually, I'm going to be
1: very specific, and the and the indictment is not malpractice, although that would be fine. But this is not a civil proceeding. This is a criminal one. So on the <laughs> indictment, I am I am indicting Rick Spielman and the Minnesota Vikings for depraved indifference to special teams. <laughs> All right? (laughs) Depraved indifference. So I am not, this is not, I don't think they purposely did this, but the end result is so poor and so bad, the depraved indifference, of course, is the acquisition of uh, Corey Vedvick from the Baltimore Ravens for a fifth-round draft pick. That's new New York Jets,
0: Corey Vedvick, Exactly. haven't heard.
1: So I am looking for, so I'm even going to leave out, the whole punting thing. Because you got, you got to a place that you could actually argue is fine legally, football-wise. But the way you got there is not fine. And, and my stance is this. The indictment is being handed down. Because Mr. Spielman has told us how many times, in how many different ways, in how many press conferences, how much he values draft picks. He literally took one to the restroom and flushed it down the toilet. <laughs> depraved <laughs> indifference of kicking. Okay. And punting, I guess. Let let
0: me use a uh, well-practiced, all's well that ends well defense, Judd. They ended up with an experienced kicker who was one of the highest field goal percentages ever in Dan Bailey. He won the job. If they had just brought someone else in for a kicking competition and Dan Bailey beat him, we would have said, oh, no big deal. He just beat the younger guy. And then on the day where everybody gets cut down, they find a veteran punter who is a very good holder, apparently, is really experienced there. That's something Matt Weil, I guess, could not do very well. And so at the end of training camp, yes, they flushed one fifth round pick. But they end up with an experienced kicker, an experienced punter, so all is well, that ends well. They're okay in this position of special teams. But you're then overlooking the fact
1: that they completely bungled how they got there, and any rank amateur football fan, heck me, could have gotten them there. You didn't have to go through. The Vedvik thing was, and here, here's why. I'm indicting the Vikings to teach them a lesson here, okay? Here's why I'm doing it. Here's why the lesson becomes important. Because you not only tell me that you love your draft picks, and they're absolutely essential to your, the lifeblood, and Stefan Diggs is a fifth-round pick, so now you can't come back and tell me, oh, that's okay. It's just a, a fifth-round pick. You have to choose a path here. But the other reason is this. Poor Vedvik had no chance with this head coach. Daniel Carlson, you know what I did? I let you skate last year. You were on probation. Daniel Carlson, I let you skate on that one. You used a draft pick, fifth round again, right? On Daniel Carlson. Mm-hmm. And he came here, and he clearly is not a bad kicker, had, had, has had success in Oakland since. But he came here, became a mental mess in the preseason. The second game in Green Bay, I don't have to go back to that. But after that, you said, okay, Rick, now you know. I'm going to allow you off on probation here, but never repeat the mistake of a young kicker for Zim again. And a year later, you did it. That's why,
0: that's why this time I'm going tougher. Okay, I think the best you've got, and I, and I understand there's a pattern of behavior is what you're getting Yes, to, I'm establishing a pattern of behavior, I, which every good lawyer does. But I think, I think the best that you've got here. Giving away a fifth round pick, considering that the fifth round pick the Vikings made this year is on the practice squad, didn't even make the team. Most of them don't. Fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. That—that's all you give up. The best we can do for a deal is petty larceny. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! Okay. I'm not, I'm it's, not, no, uh, I'm not dealing down I, to that. However, that yes, no yes, they were maybe. How about this? Reckless endangerment. Reckless endangerment. All right, and now petty, you're talking a bit en- more. They endangered petty, yeah. the situation, but they did not alter ultimately cause any harm, I am, aside from the small price of a fifth round pick. I am
1: not going down to deal. a Class E <laughs> misdemeanor here. I'm not allowing you to talk this down. This
0: is the second year. In, 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 my God, lessons must be learned. All right, Lessons okay. must be learned.
3: Uh, <laughs> Judge Harrison, what do we think, uh, Jonathan? Well, Judge Zolgad found and established a pattern of behavior, so I'm going to find that the Vikings are guilty of this <laughs> for reckless endangerment of their draft picks. I'm going to find them another fifth-round pick since they seem so keen on using fifth-round picks on special teamers. They now lose their next fifth-round pick. I it. will see you at the grand jury. You are going to have so to grand, grand jury proceedings. Uh,
0: that's that's
1: uh, what this
3: is.
0: Now we're going proceeding to trial. All right, so now and then we're going to have to do this, and I look forward to it uh, in the future of... Charging the Vikings for the, with different things, just for the uh, for the opening. Manny
1: voiceover. <laughs> that's why we have to do it.
0: Uh, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this. Judd. They end up finding their punter. Dan Bailey is fine. Corey Vedvik will now become the best Jets kicker of all time. I think that's unquestioned, right? And uh, Matt Weil is gone, so the guy who could not figure out how to hold for his kicker is gone. Now Dan Bailey should be better because of that, we assume. Clearly they thought that part of Dan Bailey's problems last year was because he did not have a very good holder, and... I think there's something to that. As much as I get to this conversation and go, I don't know, what am I supposed to tell you? Hold the ball, man. Um, There is something to that of a holder being able to put it down the right way in the right rhythm for his kicker. And overall, at the end of the season, I think we'll probably look at this and say their kicking and punting was okay. I don't expect it to be the best in the league. I think Dan Bailey is over his prime. This punter has been doing it for a very long time. He's nothing overly impressive with he's his he's here to hold, man. But he is here he's to hold. He's made it clear he's but, here to hold. I think he'll be fine. This, this, to me, situation, and this is just my guess, this might go for a write-that-down that blows up in my face, but even though it took a long way to get here and it was weird and hilarious – We still got to a spot where I would bet more money on the kicking being fine, over 80% of field goals good, and the punting being fine and not giving up punt returns for touchdown. I would put more money on that than I would this thing's a disaster.
1: I have a question for you now, though. Okay. To go back to 2018. You had, now, Ryan Quigley in 2017 was not great, but I think he was serviceable probably. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair word? At the end of training camp last year, right around this time, you decide to pick up Matt Weil, who I believe had been waived by Pittsburgh, right? And you jettison quickly at that point and make Weil your punter. But more importantly now, from what what we're finding out, or just as importantly probably, Matthew Collar, you make him your holder as well. And now we're basically told that he wasn't good at that job, which meant that you you sent Daniel Carlson up in more ways than one to fail. So that's... To me, that to me, we should now go back and say, okay, if you guys are telling me that Matt Weil couldn't hold, what the hell were you doing taking an already fragile fifth-round pick who was, by the way, cost you a game? The Green Bay games, you're in the playoffs, right? What were you doing having Matt Weil show up in early September and then, I guess, saying uh, he really can't hold well? But, ah, oh, what the heck?
0: Well, they, probably, That's a didn't, weird they one. probably didn't know he couldn't hold well, but it is weird considering that... Ryan Quigley was good at it. He and Kai Forbath seemed to have a really good rapport, and Forbath kicked extremely well when it came to the field goals for them. So Quigley was doing it for Daniel Carlson the entire preseason in camp when he won the job, and then you sort of pull the rug out from under him and bring in another guy who you don't know. So what they're really guilty here of is constantly overthinking things that are probably fine and negligible in the differences between good and bad. I mean, for... Punting, for example, if Ryan Quigley, who I don't believe has gotten a job since, so maybe nobody thought that he was a great punter anymore, and he was like 35, I think, but they overthought that one in that... Quigley could kick it 42, 43 yards. Their net was going to be somewhere around 40. And if he was slightly better at the holding thing and had a rapport with Daniel Carlson, then why would it make sense to go to Matt Weil? And if Matt Weil's punting was totally fine, so you find somebody else to hold, but no, we can't do that. We've got to bring in a new guy to hold. Right. It's like just when, just when Dan Bailey kicks a 54-yarder and seems to be figuring it out with Weil, then they get rid of him, and now he's got to get chemistry with a new guy. And it's just this constant like carousel of... You get off the bus. You get on the bus. We got a new kicker, new punter, new holder, this and this and this. And I just am not sure why they couldn't have just stuck with what worked as opposed to chasing their tail, sending draft picks places, using draft picks on specialists, and there's a new long snapper here too now. And I mean, all of it just sort of screams of you don't really know what you're doing and you're just hoping to have rolled the dice and have it work. And
1: is this Rick? Is this Mike? And the thing that I don't get for – for Mike's purposes is kicker, long snapper and punter. I don't need great ones, but I want to find reliable ones, preferably guys who who have been around for a while, give them those jobs and then walk away from it. Like this constant tinkering. If you you had a young head coach who had grown up in special teams and said, "I can identify these guys. I can do okay, I sort of get that." But Mike seems to it seems to me that Mike can't stand these people for the most part so no but i yeah. mean seriously no, you're right. just yeah. get them get them what, what they've got now bailey and colquitt get them a couple of older guys and just say okay you're gonna miss some mike's gonna get really peeved he's probably gonna yell and scream you're gonna be like sorry mike and then you're going to continue to do your, your job this this thing of turning to like carlson and vedvik i mean tell me this Aren't they mind bleeped from the second that, that they step foot in Egan? Because the way I saw Carlson and Vedvic Vedvik, by the way, that la- that first preseason game at Baltimore was unbelievable. And all of a sudden he gets here and it's sort of like a gong show circus, mm-hmm. and the head coach clearly doesn't like kickers and punters. Yeah. And and the other thing too, so here and so I I wrote this in my column at Scorenorth.com. The other frustrating thing is when you get a young guy you traded a fifth round pick for, tell him and everybody else the job. Like this whole thing of, I don't know if he's going to kick or punt. That doesn't do anybody with that age. You're screwing around with people unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. Okay, if he's going to punt, awesome, he's going to punt. If he's going to kick, that's fine. But this whole thing of being, well, we've got this secret weapon and we're not going to tell you. At some point in time, do you really think the Chiefs are sitting there saying, oh, my God, we play the Vikings in week blank and we're not going to know what Vedvik's going (laughs) to do? Like it's going to help Vedvik mentally to be like, here's your job. We're going to tell everyone,
0: now go win that job. Having him compete for both jobs was silly and ridiculous. Yes. I mean, it it really was. But it's being way too cute. If you wanted him to be the punter, then have him come in and compete with the punter. If you wanted him to be the kicker, have him come and compete with the kicker. But these guys who do it, the best ones, they spend their entire life working on one of those skills. Were we to really think that one guy could master both of them in 2019 at that high of a level? So I I totally agree with you there. But I think ultimately they ended up in the right position, which is have two veterans, and if it blows up in your face, at least you went with guys who were proven. I'm with you As opposed to just somebody like Vedvik who you had no idea what was going to happen once the guy started kicking football. So, you know, they ended up in the right spot. They ate their egos a little bit to have to cut him and let him go to New York, and I'm sure that you were right that there was a hefty debate that went on at uh, TCO Performance Center about whether to keep him or not, but uh, ultimately, they just couldn't keep a guy who couldn't do either one exceptionally well. Even if they gave partially him a first round pick,
1: that's their fault.
0: Um, let me ask you something else, Jeb. Before we take a break here, what else uh, was of interest to you on cutdown day? Uh, the trade for a cornerback was, w- which w- was what
1: we talked about with Myron, I believe, on Friday's uh, Purple Daily. The fact that there has to be genuine concern is Xavier Rhodes. Is something wrong there? And so. It, it wasn't just like a depth pickup, it was that, but it's also a, that Cardinals game was a little bit scary, and seeing Rhodes try and pivot and basically fell down, uh, this is probably not completely unusual, but it is remarkable to me when you look at Diggs Thielen, right, two of the best in the league, and that drop-off now from those two to the three guy, it's not just like, oh, you'll be fine. You're an, if, if either one of those guys get, gets hurt, unless BB has something I have not seen, and I'm not even trying to say he's a bad player, but I, he's okay. But the drop-off there is huge. Uh, the, Treadwell, the Treadwell move had to hurt the pride as well yeah. for Rick to basically come back and say, but Laquan Treadwell, when, when you look up his stats, it's not just sort of a miss. It's he, abysmal. He did nothing. Yep. Troy Williamson in three years. So, so it's apples to apples. It's three years and three years. Troy, who could not hang on to a football to save his life, he couldn't catch, has much better stats. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Laquan. It's not really
1: close. So that, but, but, yeah, the, the drop-off to me of Diggs-Thielen to, hey, who's your three? It's not small. It's, it's a canyon.
0: The. Longest reception from Laquan Treadwell in three years of playing here was 25 yards. Williamson had the longest catch of his each three seasons was way longer than yep. that 46, 55, and 60 or something like that. Uh, I wrote more about the Laquan Treadwell thing at ScoreNorth.com and basically dug into um, all the different things that had to go wrong for him to end up as one of the biggest busts in team history. And it's really fascinating that you could have basically said it from the very first week of his career where he didn't get into the game. And Thielen and Diggs were great against Tennessee in 2016. And this looked like, where is this guy going to fit in? And then throughout that year, he couldn't get the details right. Last year, he couldn't catch the football. I mean, it's just been one thing after another. And he does lack a little bit of self-awareness. He lacks a little bit of understanding and knowledge of the game. And all these things played together with uh, him becoming a bust and them letting him go. One thing that I would look back a little bit in for hindsight is John D. Filippo and Kirk Cousins last year throwing to him playing him as much as they did early in the season. I mean, they were treating him as if he was a fine, totally legit, normal number 3 wide receiver, and he was not. He was one of the worst players at his position in the entire NFL. Pro football focus grades had him 126th out of 130 or something wow. like that. I mean, he was like at the very, very bottom of the NFL. And so... John Filippo came here as an offensive coordinator and looked at the guy and said, oh, yeah, number three receiver, he's fine. And, and in big situations, Kirk Cousins said, oh, yeah, this is a guy I want to throw the ball to. Like, what? Well, you I mean, how did this even how does it happen?
1: I, I think that, that the conversation that we had up on this stage on Friday is exactly right. I think the Vikings had to cut Treadwell to save Cousins from himself. I think if you, if you were dealing with a quarterback who was like, all right, if that guy plays, he's a decoy, basically— you might have said, we can keep Laquan because he, he can play special teams. I don't think he was a bad apple, no, not a, bad, not a guy. bad guy. Not a bad guy I, at all. I think, I think he didn't get it, but I don't think that he brought that into the locker room in a negative way. But after what we saw last year... You could not, in good conscience, I don't think, put Laquan Treadwell on the same football field as Kirk Cousins because Kirk Cousins proved that if if that was the read, he was going there. And I go back to Week 2, Green Bay, of course, in that game, Laquan cut the only touchdown pass that he caught in his career. But I go back to the ball he tipped, and that was just like, I said to
0: myself, you can't do this. There's three situations where Cousins threw to him in big moments of big games that were totally senseless. Oh, Jonathan is showing me that as we discuss this right now, the uh, Vikings have essentially traded one bust for the other. They're going to sign Josh Doxon from uh, Washington. He was cut by them. How about that? Thank you, Jonathan. That's the same draft, right? It's the same draft, but it's one pick before, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Doxon was not good in Washington, but was probably better than Treadwell was in Minnesota, if that makes sense. Um, That doesn't surprise me. They needed to get another receiver. They couldn't go into the season no. with only four receivers. So Josh Doxon no, is, uh, is, is now on the team. Yeah, Well, if anybody you're going to get now is underwhelming. Well, no, course. but your guy. Would you be excited about Aldrich Robinson? Yes, role? because
1: Kirk and him have something. Yeah, they they yeah. No, no, I'm trying he to. he caught like
0: 17 balls. I mean, it wasn't I, like he was great. I know, but I don't need great. I need reliable yeah. there. Yeah. Well, that's So anyway, to finish the point, so the Vikings now have Josh Doxon, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, but to finish the point, it just it kind of blows my mind that, in big situations last year, several times Laquan Treadwell was targeted, and this was a guy who shouldn't have even been there. We knew by last year in training camp that it was over for him, that he was not ever going to emerge and be a star, and they just kept giving him chance after chance after chance. And they, all they needed last year was a half-of-win, not even a I full know. win, a half-win, and they're in the playoffs. Yeah. I think you could point to those plays with Treadwell. The uh, interception in Green Bay, that's a couple of Points. I think they made a field goal after that. Green Bay did, and then you have the play in New Orleans on fourth down where he throws it to Treadwell. It's a high throw, but it goes off his hands. There's a play in New Orleans or uh, New England where they throw it to him on a fourth down and he gets like six yards. Yeah. I mean, th- against the
1: Patriots, by the
3: Again, way. Again, yeah, right? Why? Yeah, why why are you doing that?
0: And, and so, so how was he even on the team last year at this point? Oh, I if, can tell you, he's a first-round pick
1: of
3: Rick yeah, Spielman.
0: I know. I know Rick Rick doesn't like to be embarrassed. That's what I'm saying, is them not eating their pride last year when they already knew it was over for him after a 20-catch season in 2017. That's when they should have moved away from Laquan Treadwell.
1: There are times that this front office, Matthew Collar, gets very, very cute and they shouldn't. And there are times that that it's obvious that things are just done. And they say, ah, but he was a first-round pick.
0: So it seems. And, uh, and, and they tried to bring back Matt Khalil, too, to your point. like They, they really do love themselves, their first-round picks. What, tre- do you, Treadwell, what do you got?
1: Treadwell, three years in Minnesota, 56 receptions, 517 yards, and, of course, the one touchdown against the Packers. Josh Doxon, the same thing years-wise in Washington, and, and he only played in two games in 2016. 81 catches, 1,100 yards. That's a 13.6 average. And he
0: had eight touchdowns. So at least he was uh, much better, actually, than Laquan Treadwell so, and yes. still got cut. Alright, well let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about what the receivers look like now that Josh Doxson is a part of this team and some of the moves that they made over the weekend. At 3 o'clock, we have Charles McDonald from SB Nation. He wrote a great piece on Matt Ryan, so we'll take a look at what the Vikings are up against this week in Matt Ryan. When we return, you're listening to
3: Purple Daily here on Score North. here at Score North. Time for the Score North download live from the fair for one last day on this Labor Day. We'll be out here till 6 p.m. tonight. Mackie and Judd with Rami closing out our run at the State Fair today. Our booth, if you're still coming out here, off Chamber Street on the left edge of the grandstand, our merchandise booth will be open until 9 p.m. tonight. You can get a $5 t-shirt if you show us your Score North mobile app. And also, we're donating all proceeds from the All Arise t-shirts to Luis Arise's favorite charity, the Ronald McDonald House. And if you missed the breaking news last segment, the Vikings have agreed to terms with wide receiver Josh Doxson, who was cut by the Redskins over the weekend as part of their cuts. He was drafted in the same draft as Laquan Treadwell, but has been a little bit more productive, scoring eight touchdowns in his time there in Washington. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. Yes, Josh Doxon is now a Minnesota Viking, so he uh, is reunited with Kirk Cousins. And I would guess, Judd, that there was some question to Kirk Cousins that some front office person asked, would you like us to get Josh Doxon? And uh, the answer must have been yes, because he's here. I I would say this. I don't think that he's a great receiver by any means it's Josh Doxson. He's yeah. a bust. He was cut by his team. But if you're asking me which guy would be more likely to have a halfway decent season, him or Laquan Treadwell, it's probably him. And if he is your now number five wide receiver with the potential throughout the year to move up and contribute occasionally, he is a big guy who every once in a while can go up and make a catch. This is the thing about Laquan Treadwell. He literally did nothing. Like There's not a single highlight of Laquan Treadwell, he made one one-handed catch against Green Bay at home in 2017, and that's it. With Doxson, at least he had a number of catches where people went, oh, maybe he could be halfway decent, and he just really wasn't. But uh, I think there's more there with Dachshund than there was for Treadwell, and clearly Cousins must see something there as well that he thinks he can work with. So I think you traded bad for bad, but slightly better. So Daxon is is at least on NFL. dot com. Matthew listed at six
1: two two hundred five uh, in two thousand uh, seventeen, which would have been Cousins' last year in Washington. He started fourteen to sixteen games, thirty five catches, five hundred two yards, six touchdowns. That actually increased to. 44 catches for 532 yards and two touchdowns. I think the key here is, so, so he was the 22nd pick in the 2016 draft, and Laquan was 23, but I think the key here is he comes here as a bust with, like, no expectations. Yes, yes. With Treadwell, every time, fair or not, as long as Treadwell stayed here, every time he ran the wrong route or, or wasn't quick enough or tipped a ball that got picked off, we didn't say, well, he's sort of been a bust, so we'll take what we can get. We said, that guy was a first-round pick. Yeah. So Daxon yep. comes here having failed himself in Washington, but the perception here is, hey, if you get a decent year, that's great. And if you don't, guess what you do? You cut him and you really don't care.
0: Now, I would have preferred them wait until week two. Now, I believe there's rules that change in week two for contracts and how much guaranteed you have to get vet- for a veteran. Yes. Correct. So I would have preferred them to wait till week two and then sign Tory Smith or some other veteran that might be out there. But in terms of what you're going to get at this point in the game, this is about it. I mean, you're never going to get a star or a high quality receiver. It's just that you feel a little bit better about having five receivers as opposed to four and at least someone who has played with Cousins before and made some plays. You said he's got eight touchdowns. I recall seeing a handful of these. I think there was a catch with Cousins. There was a in great, 2017. Yeah, great. There so. was a great catch that he made against I want to say Seattle in a comeback game that he had out there in Seattle where Blair Walsh, I think, missed three or four field goals in that game. Oh, I know. Shocking. Atlanta
1: finally went back to Matt Bryant. I know, right? 44 years old. They're like, Blair,
0: you stink. The the other new guy stinks. Matt Bryant, you still there? I don't know why they brought in Blair to begin with. But I I, I wouldn't say anything overly crazy positive about Josh Doxon when his team lets him go, other than he did play okay. If he has anything like that season, if he gets 20 to 30 catches with this team, then that's a huge victory over what your expectation with Treadwell is, which, like you said, running wrong routes, dropping balls, things like that. It was about as bad as you could be for Laquan Treadwell. Laquan Treadwell, the way I would put it, is similar to baseball when they talk about wins above replacement. So you have to establish what replacement is. Replacement Correct. is some guy you call up from AAA who can't play, basically. Well, that's Treadwell. If you took a receiver off of almost any Division One college team who was not an NFL player and just threw him into the NFL, he'd play like Treadwell. And so anybody who's above that gives you more value. And and again, this is a guy who's not going to be playing forty, fifty percent of the snaps early in the season last year. I looked this up. There was a game where Treadwell played ninety percent of snaps. That's insane. Right, but the Treadwell problem is
1: he he's a guy who gets called up from AAA, and the manager just plays him. Yeah, they have to instead of saying they they feel
0: like they have to start him because he's a top prospect. Instead of saying you're a defensive
1: replacement or you've got a skill set that I might use, you play him. Uh, So. Off that point, too, am I selling this guy short? And what is your expectation for B.C. Johnson? Well, I think he's going to play a little. But, I mean, do you is, is there a lot of there there, in your opinion, from watching him? I think there's a little there. Because those guys can surprise.
0: There's a little there, yes. And uh, I'm not saying that he reminds me of Stephon Diggs, because Stephon Diggs is one of the best route runners of the last decade. So this is not like, oh, he's just like Diggs. I think he is a guy that... Uh, his personality and his skill set match up really well with what succeeds in the NFL. So, now, I don't, I don't mean this as, like, any sort of weird thing, but he's from Nigeria, or his family's from Nigeria. And a lot of times, the players who come from Nigeria, their families push, like, education and all those things. So, like, Afadi Adenabo, him, Jack Tocho, when he was here, was not a great player, but real smart guy. So a lot of times, they'll get these guys who are very smart, and B.C., is a really bright guy, and he runs routes well, and he's got good hands, and he made a great catch on that two-point conversion that should have actually counted, but it didn't. So I think there might be a little there. I mean, I I would not jump deep into the B.C. Johnson pool, but I would say in comparison to guys like Stacey Coley or Rodney Adams, who they brought in here before, he, I think he's on a so different So he could plan. be a three. I think he could be long. a three, yeah. Okay. I, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think he's got better hands than B.B. The thing I worry about with B.B. is he had a very high drop rate in college, and he drops passes in preseason and in training camp even when he's open. Which is a really good way to eventually get cut, by the way. It, it is, and he also has an injury history as well. Yeah. This Dachshund, uh signing does make you feel a little bit better about the depth. But the B.C. thing, he really is the... Uh, the wild card here, I mean, in 2015, they went into the first three games and didn't play Stefan Diggs. And then all of a sudden, they bring in Diggs, and he catches 53 passes, and he's terrific, and their uh, um, receiving core was immediately better with him. So you never know when one of those guys, if there's something actually there, is going to emerge, and that's what they're basically banking on right now. But the one thing you could say for Doxon that is a huge, huge deal is – so this guy has been a number 1, number 2 wide receiver on the team before, and I'm not saying he played well, but if The Leonard Diggs goes down, can he survive a week? Can he make a couple of catches? That's a two. I wouldn't have said I would trust B.C. Johnson or Chad Beebe or right. Brandon Zilstra or whoever else they could have caught. I might trust Doxon a little bit more than Treadwell. Okay. So. All right, let's take a break. We have Charles McDonald coming up next. He's going to talk about a great article he wrote on Matt Ryan and why he is underrated in his career. We will discuss with Charles Vespination Nation when we return. You're
3: listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. This holiday, whether you're making a Fred Meyer Simple Truth Turkey for $40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for 2 Fred Meyer has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply.
0: Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone.